Well, the, uh, can you imagine if I walked off the front of the stage right into the baptism tank? <laughs> that would be epic. That'd be so awful. Um, yeah, hey, the Lord's doing some great things in our church and uh, with our, not just our college ministry, but just in our community. I hope you sense that. I ran into Carol this morning, and just a handful of weeks ago, Carol and I and Josiah were the only ones in the prayer room, you know, and it was Christmas break, so a lot of students were gone and stuff, and I told Carol this morning, we had 27 people jammed in there this morning seeking the Lord, and people are praying, and people are sharing Jesus with people across this city, which is really a lot of fun, and I hear that last week alone, six uh, people gave their lives to Christ and followed him. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And, and we get a chance not to baptize them, but to baptize five others today, three at this service and two at the next. What a beautiful thing God's doing. How fun to be a part of, of a church that God's doing a great work in. Hey, everything that I say this morning from 1 Samuel 2 is going to connect to this phrase. So if you're a note taker, this is pretty important. God honors those who honor him, and God despises those who despise him. I didn't make that up. It sounds very edgy. It doesn't really fly uh, politically. It doesn't seem correct. It's true, though. It's a promise from God. God honors those who honor him. God despises those who despise him. I, w- I wish it said something like, God honors those who honor him. And everyone who just gives it a shot, you know what? B plus, you know, or, or, uh, or you, you get a star or something. Yeah, at least you're trying. There's no middle ground. God says that there are people who honor me and there are people who despise me. The word honor means that you see it as heavy in the Hebrew. Heavy. God is heavy to you in your thoughts and in your actions. He weighs heavy on you, not in an onerous way. But then to despise God is to think very lightly of him. Ah. God honors those who honor him. He despises those who despise him. It's a promise from God, and we will all live on one side or the other of that promise. That is to say, it will not be proven untrue. We will either live on the side where, in honoring God, we sense that he has honored us, or in despising him, we sense we're despised from him. This passage, that short verse, flies like a banner over the whole text this morning. We will see it with crystal clarity. And my desire is that even if we find ourselves in a place where my life has been despising God, we would, with joy and anticipation, say, I want to be one who honors him. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel 2. We're starting in verse 12. It's just after Hannah's prayer. If you remember, uh, last week, Jordan taught, but the focus was there was this woman, Hannah, who prayed for a son, didn't have a son for a lot of years, and God gave her Samuel, this little baby that she dedicated to God. That is, when he was two, three years old, she brought him to the temple so that he'd live his whole life serving God. And now we tie into this passage. Um, he was, this little baby was handed over to Eli, a priest who had his own sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They, they worked at the temple. And now this little, maybe three-year-old boy is, is headed towards the temple. He's going to be a little bit older in our passage as we get into it. But that's the context. And the Bible says this, 1 Samuel 2. We'll cover a lot of ground this morning. Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. When anyone offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged meat fork while the meat was boiling and plunge it into the container, kettle, cauldron, or cooking pot. The priest would claim for himself whatever the meat fork brought up. This is the way they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. Even before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the one who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast because he won't accept boiled meat from you 
only raw. If that person said to him, the fat must be burned first, then you can take whatever you want for yourself. The servant would reply, no, I insist that you hand it over right now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. So the servant's sin was very severe in the presence of the Lord because the men treated the Lord's offering with contempt. Now, in contrast, Samuel served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife. May the Lord give you children by this woman in place of the one she has given to the Lord. Then they would go home. The Lord paid attention to Hannah's need, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Let me stop there. The very first thing that we learn about Eli's sons is found in verse 12. It'll just be up on the screen. Eli's sons were wicked men. They did not respect the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. They were supposed to bring the best and give it to God, and they're like, no, the best is for me. So, put maybe in our context, they treated God's offering contemptible. They're like, who cares? You know what? Close enough. They acted like, who cares if God gets what God wants or if I get what I want? Doesn't matter. We'll take what we want for ourselves. It's the person who God weighs very lightly on. Ah, who cares? Oh, does God say that? Mm, doesn't, doesn't really bother me. You know what? Try my best. Lay off. You know, I don't really care. Ah, the Bible. I'll do it my way. God weighs lightly on you. Very little impression. Uh, like, you know, a feather on a scale. Barely weighs. You, you can hardly tell that, that God is pressing into that life. Eli's sons were wicked. And their sin, the Bible says, was very severe. Very severe. In contrast to them, and the, the, the Hebrew writing, I think, is meant to bring this out. You're supposed to feel this contrast. You have Samuel. Little boy, Samuel, maybe nine years old when you start adding, okay, Hannah had a few more children, five more in total. Maybe a nine-year-old boy, he serves the Lord. He serves in the Lord's presence. I think God wants us to feel that tension between these two. And how kind God heard Hannah's prayer. Remember, Hannah was the one who God gave this little boy to, and she gave him right back to God. God hears her prayer and gives her three more sons, two daughters. How beautiful. But it says, meanwhile, the boy grew up in the presence of the Lord. And here's what we're going to feel as we go through the passage. The wickedness of Eli and his sons, and then this little boy, Samuel, who's honoring the Lord. Wickedness, Samuel. Evil <laughs> and honor. 1 Samuel 2.22 continues the account. Now Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He said to them, why are you doing these things? I have heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my sons, the news I hear the Lord's people spreading is not good. If one person sins against another, God can intercede for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. By contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Again, in contrast. Eli says, why are you doing these things? Now, he's referring, I don't know that he's referring to the whole meat trick where they're stealing the best option for themselves. Clearly, he has heard, and everyone's talking about it. 
these guys, these priests of God are sleeping with the women at the temple. Eli hears about it. Everyone's talking about it. And he confronts them. Why are you doing these things? Now, confronting sin in the lives of others, it's always been a hard thing to do, right? That's never been easy. It's still hard, but many today are saying it's wrong. It's not only hard. Some people are saying, dude, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. In fact, many call biblical confrontation, and I just mean loving biblical confrontation, many will call that spiritual abuse. There is such a thing as spiritual abuse. I'm not talking about harassing someone and getting in their face and hypocritical confrontation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about lovingly showing a person that the way they're living is not honoring God and it's going to ruin them in the long run. That has not just but it's always been hard, and now it's called wrong. Do you think what Eli is doing is wrong? Do you think he's wrong for challenging the sinful actions of his sons? Well, Ezekiel 3 shows us God's heart when it comes to talking to people about sin. Ezekiel 3, listen to this uh, word to a prophet of God, Ezekiel. God said to him, son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. God is not unclear. Confronting people in sin is not unloving towards others. Rather, it proves that you love others. Jesus himself said in Luke 17, 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. That isn't in your face with a finger point. That's just humbly from a heart that knows probably what it's like to fail in the same thing. You go to them. I just want to pause long enough to just go, is it possible God's trying to get your attention through the voice of another? And don't dismiss them because they're not doing it perfectly, but is it possible God is trying to get your attention, lovingly coming to you, correcting you? Are you receiving it? Or do their words bounce off your heart like a pebble off a frozen lake? Ping, ping, ping. Husbands, is God using your wife to try and tell you something? And like Eli's sons, you refuse to listen? Wives, is God using your husband to try and tell you something? And like Eli's sons, you refuse to listen. Students, to the unmarried. Is God trying to break through? Is God trying to tell you something through some leader in your life, some friend, your own mom or dad? And you just dismiss them. You don't know. You, you don't understand. You don't, you don't get me. You just refuse to listen. God's trying to break through, and you're not hearing? He's on a rescue mission, and you just want nothing to do with it. Then the Bible says, but they, Eli's sons, would not listen to their father since the Lord intended to kill them. What do you do with that? What do you do with that verse? 
They were guilty for their own sins. No one's going to be judged by God and be like, uh, what? It's not my fault. No, God is a righteous judge, and yet simultaneously the Bible says God intended to kill them. The expositor's Bible commentary said this. It doesn't resolve it all. It says, Hannah had already expressed her willingness to leave like decisions of life and death to God. She had already expressed her willingness to leave decisions of life and death within the sphere of divine sovereignty, and so must we. We're going to leave that in God's hands. But what is it God would want us to apply? I just want to ask, is it, are we partly to blame for the sinful choices of others because we're too cowardly to confront sin? We don't have to be hypocrites. We can humbly say what we see that's hurting them, that's wounding them, that's not honoring the Lord. Guys, even sharing the gospel doesn't, it begins with helping people see they're wrong. God is right, but God can reconcile that. Look, Eli didn't go too far in confronting the sins of his sons. His problem actually was that he did not go far enough. And we're going to see that borne out in the verses to come. Look at this. This is shown in how Eli is now going to be confronted because he didn't go far enough. Look with me at 1 Samuel 2.27. The passage continues. A man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Didn't I reveal myself to your forefathers' family when they were in Egypt and belonged to Pharaoh's palace? Like this is way back in the lineage. Out of all the tribes of Israel, I chose your house to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence, that is to do the work of the temple. I also gave your forefathers' family all the Israelite food offerings. That's how you were going to be fed. Why then do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship? You have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people. Therefore, this is a declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefathers' family would walk before me forever, but now this is the Lord's declaration, no longer. For those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disgraced. Look, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your forefathers' family so that none in your family will reach old age. You will see distress in the place of worship. In spite of all that is good in Israel, and no one in your family will ever again reach old age. Any man from your family I do not cut off from my altar will bring grief and sadness to you. All your descendants will die violently. This will be the sign that will come to you concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Both of them will die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest for myself. He will do whatever is in my heart and mind. I will establish a lasting dynasty for him, and he will walk before my anointed one for all time. Anyone who's left in your family will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. He'll say, please, appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have a piece of bread to eat. Up until this point, I thought, okay, Eli, you're confronting your sons for their sin, probably sleeping with women in the temple. But verse 29, like the plot thickens a little bit in verse 29. In the confrontation to Eli, it says, why then do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship? You have honored your sons more than me. All includes Eli. 
This isn't just his sons. Lest we think that God is correcting only the sons, all shows us that Eli too shares in their guilt. Is it possible that Hophni and Phinehas learned those sinful ways, that irreverent attitude, that, you know what, who cares? I mean, kind of God-ish, you know, boom, we'll get whatever meat we want. Is it possible they learned that from watching their dad? Notice, he doesn't correct them for eating sacrificial meat. Why? I wonder it's because he's doing it too. He's making himself fat on that food. He actually corrects them for sleeping with women in the temple. But oh, how light his correction must have fallen on their hard hearts, knowing that, Dad, come on, who are you to say to us? There is something unbelievably damning and hardening to the heart and the soul of a child with the hypocrisy of a parent. And I say this as a parent who has been a hypocrite at times. Parents are often worried, oh my word, I gotta get my words just right. Shoot, I should never talk like that. Uh, Man, I feel bad. I watched a movie. Maybe I shouldn't have, and they saw it also. Or, ah, I should have brought my kids to church more. There's a lot of things that parents are like, I got to make some adjustments. But I don't think, and as someone who served for a lot of years as a family pastor, I've not seen anything more damaging. I'm aware of nothing more harmful to an impressionable child as they as a rise up in their family than a parent who is boldly and routinely a hypocrite who constantly is like, you know what you should do? Whatever I say, but not what I do. You know, you should listen to your teachers at school. You should honor your coach. You should follow authority. But me, uh, these numbers on the signs, they're suggestions. I do whatever speed I want. I talk about my boss the way I want. I don't care about authority. I'll slander whoever's in office. I, I will find a way of putting on a clinic for you of what it looks like to not honor authority. But I'll tell you, you should, and you better honor me, your authority. I'm telling you that, without confession, that can be very hardening to a heart. Now here's, here's what's good news, parents, because we're all guilty of this. When we blow it, we say something in some mean way, the very way we don't want them to say it to their sibling or their mom, you just, just get down eye level, even if it's on a knee, and you just, Look at me and I go, I was totally wrong for what I said. I just did the very thing I tell you not to do. That was wrong. That was sinful. Will you please forgive me? And they go, yes. <laughs> and the hugs come quickly. And hypocrisy, gone. Because it's not that we never blow it. It's that we'll own it. We'll humble ourselves and own it. But not Eli, it seems. Because God says, all of you are guilty of this. And then that promise, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be disgraced. It's a promise. We will live on one side or the other of that promise from God. Do we find him heavy? Does he weigh in with our thoughts and how we spend our time, how we use our dollars? Really not our dollars, they're his. How are we steward them? Is that pleasing to him? He weighs heavy into all my decisions. Or, ah, Lightly. I barely feel, he barely affects me at all. God, what? God honors those who honor him. Are we careful to honor him with our our purity, our words, our actions, our lives? 
God says, I'll raise up a faithful priest for myself. He'll do whatever is right in my heart and mind. This would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the coming king, the, the final priest who would come. You know, one of our elders, right before we jump into chapter 3, one of our elders said this. With physical age, you would expect spiritual maturity. Like, Eli, he's an old guy. Eli's sons, I don't know what their age is, but they're serving in the temple. With, with physical age, you would expect spiritual maturity. Not true of Eli's sons. Where do we find maturity? In the young boy, Samuel. And now we turn to chapter 3. Look at this. What a, this is a beautiful chapter. Chapter 3, verse 1, the boy Samuel served in the Lord's presence. I'm sorry, the, he served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. I didn't call my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lied down in his place. The Lord came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responded, speak, for your servant is listening. Let me just pause. Can you imagine, can you imagine hearing from Eli, that's not me. Go back to bed. Not me. Go back. To and then Eli finally rises. Oh, my word. God's trying to speak to you. Man, who was it harder to sleep after that moment? Eli going, what's God going to say to him? Knowing probably that he has a guilty conscience. Or Samuel going, what's God going to say to me? Knowing that it's his delight to serve the Lord. The guy is up in the middle of the night keeping the lamps lit like that's his thing. This little boy, I don't know where the other boys are. But he's active in God's house and, and he lays back down. Maybe like a child, you know how you are like the night before Christmas and you're like, I can't sleep. It's like you're a little child on Red Bull or something. You're like, I'm just, I just can't wait. Everything good in my world is about to come. Like, you just have that anticipation. I think he's wired. He's like, you know, maybe there with his eyes closed and a smile on his face. I don't know. He lies back down. The Lord comes to him and says, Samuel, Samuel. Oh, what's God going to say to him? What does he get to hear? What are the first words you get to hear from God? Is it how God loves him? How God's eye has been on him? How he's been looking after him ever since? Is it that the king is coming? Oh, not just a king. Jesus Christ will come. Oh, you will be used of God in great ways. Oh, I love you, Samuel. I have this wonderful plan for your life. Is it like that? God's first words to his young prophet just might be the hardest words he ever hears from God. And also just might be the hardest words he ever has to share, poor God. This is the opening 
of what it means to be a young man committed to God. The Lord said to Samuel in verse 11, I am about to do something in Israel that will cause everyone who hears about it to shudder. On that day, I will carry out against Eli everything I said about his family from beginning to end. I told him that I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. His sons are cursing God, and he has not stopped them. Therefore, I have sworn to Eli's family the iniquity of Eli's family will never be wiped out by either sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until the morning. Then he opened the doors of the Lord's house. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, here I am, answered Samuel. What was the message he gave you, Eli asked. Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and did not hide anything from him. Eli responded, he is the Lord. Let him do what he thinks is good. God chooses to share with Samuel the hardest message probably he could give him. Since he's been two or three years old, Eli's virtually been his dad. He knows it's Elkanah and Hannah. They still come and visit at the temple annually. But Eli's raised him. This elderly old man, yes, he's got his problems, but it's like a dad to him. He can barely see. Here Samuel is just doing his best. And he's like, I have to tell him. I have to tell my dad, this, this fatherly figure in my life. Basically this, that God says he's going to judge you. He's going to judge you and your family, not just for your sin, but for the sin you knew about. Your sons were cursing God. You did nothing to stop them. Yeah, you said something. You didn't go far enough. You, you should have removed them. You should have ended that. Because of that compromise, judgment's coming. How do you do at speaking for God? when what God wants you to say is hard. That's where Samuel was. Oh, that's what I need to share? I imagine he's just making himself busy until Eli said, you, come, you tell me everything. Promise you will. Guys, in stark contrast to Eli and his sons, Samuel shows us one way, one way that we honor God. It's verse 18. Samuel told Eli everything God told him. He left nothing out. Samuel told him everything God told him. So here's how to honor God. Two things, two things. One, you regularly hear from God. Two, you always tell others what he tells you. That's what Samuel's modeling for us. He's hearing from God, hears God's word, and then he shares God's word with those it affects. Now, I wish we got the audible voice. Wouldn't that be cool? Samuel, Samuel, Carol, Carol. Wouldn't that be cool, Carol? I mean, just the audible voice of God. <laughs> yeah, if you're not awake yet, you know, it's like, don't call my name. But here's, here's what's true. If you still want to hear God's words, like you still want to hear God's words, good news, just read your Bible out loud. You will hear God's voice out loud. Like I'm saying, this Bible is still God's word. He is still speaking through his word. If you want to hear God's word, read it. Read it out loud if you want to hear it audible. I'm telling you, men and women are putting this as a priority. I got a couple guys that come over to my house on Monday morning at 6.30. I brew the coffee. 
make sure the front door is unlocked. They come shuffling in just to read their Bibles. Makes me get up and read my Bible on time, but they want to read their Bible. What I'm telling you is like they, they show up to hear from God before they hear from social media. They open God's word before they open their newsfeed, before they check their text, before they, maybe they do that on the drive over. Yeah, and you shouldn't drive and text. But like, <laughs> they are putting a priority on it. And you know what it does to me? Well, I'm having a hard time messing around, getting distracted on my phone when they're sitting across from me in my living room. It helps me. Like there are people, men and women, putting a priority on hearing from God. And I say that he honored God in two ways. Number one, he did hear God's word but verse 18 tells us he spoke God's word. Samuel told Eli everything. He left nothing out. Without compromise, without backpedaling, without sugarcoating it, without watering it down. Here it is. We say to others what God says to us. That's what it looks like to honor him. That's what Samuel models for us. Now, I asked our elder team yesterday. We had an in-town elder retreat. I said, when is it hardest for you to say exactly to others what God says to you? Like, when is that hardest? And like little pause in the room and Brandon immediately responded and said, when confronting sin in the lives of Christians and when confronting non-Christians with the gospel, that's the hardest. That's true for me too. I don't know if you find it that way. Like when you have to boldly like step in and go, that's not honoring to God. Like that's hard. And when you're talking to a non-Christian in this culture, man, that's hard. But I praise God that Salt Church is growing in both those ways. Just this last week, um, uh, a person came to Jordan and I and said, there's this heartbreaking situation and this sin that's going on, it's not being dealt with, and this person will not listen to the confrontation that is coming to them, and we just showed them the words of Jesus. Oh, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, but they're not listening to you, they're not responding, so take one or two others along so that every matter would be established by a few witnesses. And, and we said, that's the next step. You now need to go with a couple, go and confront them, show them the other words. And guys, this past week, that person opened their heart to correction. Maybe they just weren't hearing it from this person, but when they heard from a couple people, they didn't feel bullied. They was like, it made sense. Lovingly walked through that and now pursuing a path that honors the Lord. I'm telling you, that's hard. That's hard. Lifting weights, that's easy. Speaking God's word, that's hard. Right? Come on, let's get this straight. Speaking for God, that's hard stuff. But this is, is what is happening. This is what Samuel was doing unflinchingly, even when it was so hard to talk to his own father figure, Eli. Confronting Christians over sin, first dealing with any hypocrisy that's in our heart first so that we go with a, with a pure heart in that, that can be hard. Guys, sharing the gospel is hard and just sticking to the truth of the gospel. Just this past week, I... Um, trying to get to know some new neighbors had moved into my neighborhood and I've not been good at just meeting the crowd in my in, in new ones in my neighborhood. So I'm roaming around, I got the dog with me, you know, and I go walking up to this um, one neighbor. His, um, he's a young guy, but, but he has problems seeing distances. And at first I thought he thought I was gonna attack him. It was an odd word. It was an odd beginning to our conversation because he was like, you know, just at a distance. And I'm like, dude, I'm not coming to fight you. I'm, I'm not. Um, but, but we got into a conversation, oh, it's you, you know, and then we were talking, and, um, and he just starts pouring out his heart, and, and um, oh, well, he's got this motorhome in front of his house, too. I'm like, dude, who lives there? He goes, no, that's mine. I'm like, wow, you own a motorhome. 
And, and I said, just, just you. And he's, yeah, because his wife and him just divorced in the last year, and he is heartbroken over this. And he goes, sometimes I just drive around, you know, by himself and just goes and stays somewhere in it. But he's just him. And he's talking to me about this. I'm like, oh, man, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. And then, and then he, there's a, a truck parked there, and, and he goes, the truck, they used to be owned by, it was not my son, my wife, well, the one who was my wife, um, we took him in in high school. We just loved this kid. And, and for years, loved him. In time, gave him the truck. He was paying it off for me. And then he just wanted nothing to do with me. Totally rebels. Awful. Broken relationship. Wants nothing. Finally, I get this truck back from him. He's like, he takes me over the truck where he cut the seats or whatever. And he goes, he just did all this. Just broke his heart. Lost his wife. Lost his son, his son who, this boy who's trying to love, who wants nothing to do with him now. And then, and then there's another car. It's totaled. This, this car. He goes, I just got in an accident. And his car looks like, dude, I'm shocked that you lived through that. It was just, just um, absolutely slammed in. He goes, an Uber driver hit me. I'm like, all of a sudden I was more interested. You know, I'm like, wow. He goes, this guy, no joke, this Uber driver had someone he was taking around and admitted to the police. This is on the police report. Uh, yeah, you know what? Ran right into him because I was on my phone playing Clash of the Titans. I'm like, no way he said that, you know? So don't trust Uber. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, don't trust that guy. This guy is like, dude, your wife has left you. Your son, gone. You're here by yourself. You nearly lost your life. You are physically trying to recover from an accident. And I'm like, I said to him, I, I, I can't fully understand what it's like to go through the pain that you've gone through. But can I share with you how I have found hope when I've been in low places in my life? And he's like, yeah. And I just began to talk to him about how God's intersected my life and how God's helped me. And I'm telling you, I'm just beginning to share my story and how Jesus has kindly worked in my life. And, I'm, and, and then he does this move. He's like, oh man, you know what? It's kind of what he's like, totally, you know, I'm just religion, right? You know, just to, as long as you're committed, you know, and that's what I believe. I mean, hey, as long as, you know, you're trusted, you're pursuing a religious path, right? It's like all roads go up mountain, lead to God. You know, everything in me, I'm looking at this guy, lost his wife, lost his son, lost his car, nearly lost his life, and everything in me is wanting to go, close enough. You know what? Close enough. <laughs> just wanting to bail on the gospel. Just wanting to say what works. Some PC, plain vanilla, you're good, we're good, let's just keep trying. And I look on his shirt, and on his sweatshirt, it says peace. And I'm like, oh, I can't. Like, you know what? Jesus said he could bring peace. I'm telling you, here's what Jesus said and just went a little further down the road of just trying to say what's true. And it felt conflictual at first. But he knows that I think at least that there's only hope in Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm a chicken at this stuff. I just get weak in those moments. But I know he can't come to know Christ unless I say what's true. How will the cancer patient ever do chemo or radiation if the doctor doesn't have guts to say, I've got bad news. It is not a good doctor who says, it's hard to say. Just take some ibuprofen. It's 
Samuel as a boy boldly said what God said to him, as scary and as awful it must have been. And it seems like he never really stopped the closing verses of our passage. Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that's north to south, knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word, and Samuel's words came to all Israel. How cool. God revealed himself through his word. Samuel's words came to all Israel. What God brought to Samuel, Samuel brought to people. God's word came to him, and Samuel's words, it's almost like they're interchangeable. God's words became God's words through him. Are we people who God is speaking to and speaking through? No matter how hard it is, like we're representing him. That is what it means to honor God. The main point of the passage, I hope you saw it, big idea. God honors those who honor him. God despises those who despise him. But I'm telling you, lest we think Samuel's our hero, Eli and his sons, bad guys, Samuel's our hero, let's crowd serve him around the room. Lest we extol Samuel, let me point you towards the one who fully honored God. Not just for his life, but for us. See, Jesus Christ came and never despised God. In fact, he said, I live to do the will of the Father. Even when you and I don't, he did. Jesus Christ came, he always honored God by listening to God's word and speaking it. He said, man doesn't even live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knew God's word and he spoke God's word. In fact, he was the living word of God. Jesus came in the Bible and it says this. You talk about something despised. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. This Jesus who fully honored God in everything he said, thought, or did, he went to the cross. He despised its shame. He went right through the cross. Three days later, rose from the grave and kicked open the doors of heaven for all of us. I'm telling you where you have despised God, Jesus has honored him for you. And you can come to him, and his honor, and his words, and his life can count for you. Today, there is forgiveness in Christ. Jesus alone fully honored God, and he has fully honored him for us. May we not leave this place with eyes down, feeling awful like Eli would have felt. But may there be hope in your heart that even though if you were reaping the promise of the despising of God and being despised of God today, you can go no longer. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman who honors God. I want to hear from him. I want to speak for him. But ultimately, I want Jesus to count for me. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We are growing as a church in prayer, growing as a church in prayer and as a culture of prayer. And I'm going to have us pray through three things. And if you're comfortable, I'm going to have you maybe do this with someone near you. So if you came with someone you know, great. If someone's like, I at least I'm bold enough to talk to them, great. If not, you can pray by yourself. But I want us to pray out loud. There's three things that we're going to pray for that totally tie into this passage. It's one thing to hear God's word. It's one thing to be empowered by God to respond to it. We want to pray and ask God to help us with this. So here's the first thing that we're going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to pray out loud with the people right around you. Don't worry, it's about five minutes long. So that's about how long we're going we're gonna to pray. And then we're going to bring some people up to get baptized. Here's the first thing that we're going to pray. It's going to be on the screen. Pray that we would not despise God. Let this verse guide these prayers. Why then do all of you despise my sacrifices and offerings that I require at the place of worship? 
God confronted him and said, you've honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all the offerings of my people Israel. Guys, right now, we are going to humbly confess anything where we've not honored God. Are there ways we're sinning against God? And we know it. We know it. God is bringing things to our minds. We have counted him lightly. Are there ways? Are there any ways that we need to confront others? But how could we with the hypocrisy in our own lives? Right now, for the next couple minutes, just ask the Lord to forgive us. Let's confess our sins to, to, to the Lord, to one another. Let's confess those sins and pray that we would not despise God. Let's go ahead and pray. Just pray with the, someone around you and pray out loud. Let this place become a, a chorus of prayer as we uh, seek God together. And then I'll move us to the next point. Oh, God, we do. We confess our sins to you, God. You say if we confess our sins, you're faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God. So we're open and honest about our sins. And, and now, God, we pray that we would honor you. Samuel says, speak for your servant is listening. And now we're just going to pray and go, God, we want to be people who honor you. We want to be people who hear from you. So let us keep our appointments with God. Let us hear from God. Let's, let's discipline our lives to hear from him. Let's now pray with the people around us that God would enable us to, like Samuel, hear. Speak for your servant is listening. Let's ask God to help us to hear from him. And God, as a people, we want to not only hear from you, God, but we want to speak for you. Now we're going to pray that we would honor God by telling others what God tells us. Samuel, it says of him, so Samuel told him, Eli, everything did not hide anything from him. Maybe there is someone you need to humbly 
talk to about brokenness in their life that is obvious, and you just need courage. You need courage to love them enough, like that doctor who needs to say something hard so that someone can be helped and healed. You need boldness to say what's true. Maybe there's a lost person in your life, some unbeliever. They need to hear the gospel from your lips, but you're just shaking in your boots. It's scary to do that. Let's pray that God would fill us with courage so that we would honor him and be like Samuel, who was able to say everything God said to him and not keep it from the people who so desperately need it. Let's, let's pray we would honor God in that way. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a church longing to honor you, longing to please you. God, confessing our hypocrisy, there isn't anyone in this room who's done it right. God, we need you, Jesus. You came for us. We look to you, Jesus, the one who fully honored the Father in every way, always saying and doing and thinking what was right and pure. Thank you, you did that for us. God, help us to be the men and women that you're calling us to be, a holy people, ones that stand out, ones that cause others to go, what is it about you? How? How? What is God doing? There must be a God. Oh, Lord, let us faithfully represent you. Let us live lives that are pure and holy and humble before you. And let us be help and let us bring the gospel to those who desperately need it. We pray all this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to shift.